Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is a legend, one of the most influential guitar players in progressive music. John Petrucci is best known as the guitarist and founding member of two-time Grammy-nominated progressive metal band Dream Theater, as well as the guitarist and founding member of the acclaimed Liquid Tension Experiment. But he's done so much more than just that. He's also put out his solo records. Uh, He's a longstanding veteran of Joe Satriani's G3 tours. He founded John Petrucci's Guitar Universe. And he's even got his own whiskey. You know, John Petrucci's Rock the Barrel, which is a partnership with uh, Iron Smoke Distillery. And there's a lot more stuff, a lot more stuff. This guy is prolific. Here goes. John Petrucci, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. I want to bring something up that I read a really, really long time ago that uh, affected my entire life from that point forward. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No, it's... It, <laughs> You're scaring me. <laughs> sometime in the 90s, I was reading an interview in some guitar magazine where you said that uh, you and your band members had this thing where you had to practice like i think it was six hours yeah and you wouldn't show up to wherever you guys hung out socially like if you saw one of them there it was a known thing that they did their work and there was this uh i don't know if it was spoken or unspoken but it's agreement yeah and so i was like okay that's how it's got to be done and i tried doing that with my high school band and uh (laughs) that fell apart quick oh man (laughs) yeah that uh that that like caused me a lot of problems up until later obviously when i met musicians that were on that wavelength right it could also cause a lot of social problems if you don't practice because then you're never going out (laughs) 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 it was definitely a real thing it was actually between myself and John, my young, when we met, we met in middle school. So we were, you know, young teens, we were just really, really into practicing and, you know, trying to get as good as we can on our instruments. The bug bit us and, you know, we would just practice all the time. Sometimes we'd even do practice sessions together or get together with a drummer and just to sit there literally playing chromatic scales to drum beats and like sweating by the end, be like, dude, great. It's like a workout, you know? But yeah, so John and I had this thing and it was totally, it was unspoken and people would have house parties or whatever. And Mm -hmm. if you saw the other guy there, it was just like a, one of those, like you didn't have to say anything. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you knew the guy put his work in six hours was the magical number. You had to at least have put in your six hours. And if the guy wasn't there and people were like, Oh, I wonder what happened to John. You'd be like, I know. (laughs) i know exactly where he is yeah true story it brings up a question that um you know get asked a lot which i feel like is almost impossible to answer but and i'm sure you get asked this by people all the time how do i get motivated to play and i'm thinking well everyone i know that's like done real well really at anything not just guitar they don't really need to be motivated some switches just flipped yes i would say all the musicians that i know that are of that same headspace there's definitely some a little bit of ocd or something in there because it's this common thing where you just not only do you love doing it but you have to do it and you have to like constantly challenge yourself and put that time in you're right it doesn't need any external motivation it's there once that hooks you. I've had this conversation with obviously all the guys in dream theater and many other musicians. I know it's, 
It's just like you get obsessed with it. So there's probably some sort of commonality of some psychological element, <laughs> you know, of, of Oh, for sure. You know, of obsession or something, some OCD-ish element, I bet. Same for athletes, you know. Yeah. Any like high achiever, I think, or top performer. Yeah. The things that you enjoy, certainly, but you don't necessarily want to do that six, seven, eight hours a day. And other things, just, just obsessed, like you have to do it. I do have it now. It was easier when I was that age because there was nothing else to do. You know what I mean? Like you basically just had school and that as an adult and family man and everything else, your time is a lot more spread. So I still have the drive to do it. Do I always get my six hours in? No. Do I see John Mayung at uh, a party (laughs) and give him the, (laughs) it's more like, (laughs) 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 uh, dude, It was a head shake for people that are listening. Yeah. Sorry. I'm thinking this is visual. Yeah. It's it's hanging your head in the, Head shake or like just hanging <laughs> your head in. Hanging in and shame. In shame, yeah. <laughs> I do think that there is a psychological component. Absolutely. Like, I don't know a single person who I would consider a top performer, high achiever, who ever considered it a choice. And the reason I think the motivation side is kind of BS is because they do it when they don't want to. They just do it because they have to. And so my answer is and the gentlest way possible really is to examine what it is they really want to do. Because if that's how they feel about whatever it is they're going for, in this case, guitar, is that level of guitar achievement really what they're after? Maybe it's something else to do with guitar that will spark that in them. Maybe it's songwriting only, or maybe it's not guitar at all. Maybe it's something else to do with music, but maybe it's not the Olympic athlete style virtuosic level of playing that is really like the thing for them yeah there's a couple of things first of all not only is it a drive that we're talking about but there's also this element where if you don't get to it you kind of it kind of affects your mental state yes it's like a weird thing you almost feel like not depressed but like what's your identity yeah you feel like oh my god i I didn't practice it like what's wrong with me you know what i mean you're like (laughs) it, it affects you emotionally in a way. And the other thing is that I think that there are a couple of different elements, you know, one is just like the physical and tactile element of wanting to like develop a craft to, you know, the best of your abilities. The other is like the artistic element. And many people that I know who are musicians now have always had, including myself, like from a young kid, they've been driven towards things that have to do with art. Like that's why you see so many guitar players and musicians who can paint and draw and, you know, write and everything like that. That's a big part of it. There's the the thing where you're kind of just driven to where, you, you know, whatever the instrument is, the feeling of like making a cup of coffee and sitting down, putting your guitar on or sitting behind your kit, feeling the drumsticks. Like you just look forward to that moment. Like you want to get to work. Everybody that I know that's in the same headspace has that. They love to practice. They love being at the instrument. It's not like dreaded. The only element to me that's dreaded is when I have a tour coming up or something and I have to relearn my own music. (laughs) (laughs) That's It's like, we're doing this song. Oh my God. How long it's been 20 years since I played that. I have no idea how it goes. And then you're sitting there. That, that's the only dreaded thing about practicing for me. You almost are listening to it as if somebody else is, pl- you know, besides you is playing it. And you're like, no, that was me, <laughs> you know? And, and a weird thing happens too. Sometimes something, some things come right back to you and it's just kind of like, oh, I remember. 
some things you're just struggling. The guitar is a weird instrument, as we all know, because you could play things in so many different places on it. Like, did I play it here? Did I play it here? Did I play it there? And then it like clicks. It could even be live on stage. You're like, oh, that's where I played it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, ah, you know, because you were doing some stupid version of what you did that was impossible. And like, why would I make this decision ever to play it this way? And then you realize, oh, I didn't. I played it this way. Do you think that there's an element to it of like back when you played it, back when you wrote it, there was a certain feel in that moment that you were achieving, sure. which kind of lent itself to playing it that certain way. And maybe you wouldn't have played it any other way. Uh, if you Maybe if you wrote it at a different point in time, felt it differently. Uh, it's kind of impossible to say because I feel like writing music is a, it's a, moment in time you're only going to write that thing and feel that thing once but then 20 years later do you even remember that exact feeling you can bring that back sometimes yeah i mean the the weird thing about that is sometimes writing comes in a way where it just uh it it hits you you know people call this like whatever inspiration or divine uh intervention or whatever like lightning bolt yeah you know what i mean you're just playing guitar like but you start playing something and you're like where'd that come from that's pretty cool and and that happens and it's other things it's more of like you're you're putting pieces of a puzzle together and you're trying you know you're actively engaging your your mechanical brain your creative brain to to write whether it's by yourself or with other people and it becomes more of a process but strangely enough the ones that just hit you like that i remember those for sure those are more impactful to me there's a craft to it it's like you kind of know what you want to do but you have to get there. And it's not so many people have said the inspiration is BS, you know, and it's like, I know what they mean by that. Like there's things that come to you, but like there's so much work you have to put in to, to create stuff, you know, uh, there's definitely a process to it. And the detail of that work, I think gets lost over the years because, you know, you can't remember exactly every brick. Yeah, exactly. But you do remember those moments like, Oh man, when this hit me, I can remember when a song title hit me or a lyric or a riff or if, yeah, those are big moments. I don't think inspiration's BS at all. I think that the idea of waiting for it is a big mistake. <laughs> I also think that you can set up the scenario to where you can kind of coax inspiration to decide to show up if it so feels like it. And sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. But I definitely think that inspiration is super, super important because those ideas, those lightning bolt ideas, I mean, that's, that's the magic. It is the magic. The other part I think is just as important. Yeah. It also makes me think of this, you know, there are those lightning bolt moments where something just comes to you and you you start playing like, that was cool. What was, you know, you have that thought, like, is this something already? Like, why did I just play this? And it turns out not to be, and it's cool. But there's also the inspirational moments that happen in the flow state that I, I actually, there's a song on the new dream theater album that's coming out. It's called transcending time. And I wrote it about the flow state and being in this state of mind with your instrument where all sort of time disappears and you almost just forget where you are. It's like when you're driving and you just forgot that you were driving, like, how did I get (laughs) 10 miles down the road? I don't remember. Terrifying moment. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, athletes experience it, musicians, jazz musicians, improvising, you know, we try to go, we actually try to obtain that. That's like the best way to be when you're mm-hmm. just kind of forgetting about all the technique that you learn and you're letting the music flow through you. And you're right. You can induce that to an extent. I've said this jokingly, but I swear it's true. Sleep deprivation is a great way of doing that. 
you know how many riffs and songs I've written like the morning after I've flown to Japan or Australia and you know I've got no sleep and it's just like all of a sudden all these riffs start pouring out because it's like there's anything that's holding you back you know and and keeping the walls up just like it melts away because you have no mental strength or energy <laughs> and then yeah. you just it induces this flow st- I swear I've come up with so many ideas on lack of sleep I believe it I also have had that happen on upon waking, which is weird too, because you can't tell if it's a dream and you're just dreaming about some other song or if it's something that's like you should actually you take notice of. So I've learned that it's best to just, like you said, like, should I sleep? Just get up for that second, just on my phone. I'll sing the idea into it if I don't have guitar. It, just to put it down. I, I can always analyze it and look at it the next day. I've written a lot like that and also i know i'm babbling i've had a giant cup of coffee (laughs) the other thing is that when you're in that process let's say you're in the process of writing an album or working on a lyric once you start that and it gets in motion it starts to not shut off i don't know if that happens to you guys it's just like Mm -hmm. it you then you're constantly thinking of it then you'll be in one room with no ideas you'll go to the bathroom come out and then you have a million ideas and it's just like they start to feed each other and it doesn't leave your head until you're finished hundred percent from nothing to like all these ideas we were talking to kevin thrasher yesterday and he said that it's like turning on a faucet basically totally it's more like a waterfall <laughs> it's like do i have a waterfall behind you <laughs> I, I, i've got two thoughts on everything you just said Number one, uh, about the sleep deprivation, I think that it's the same reason that a lot of creative people over the years have turned to substances for creativity. I am not suggesting this for anybody listening. I'm just saying anything that uh, lowers your conscious defenses, basically, that gets you out of your own way, whatever our anxieties and OCD tendencies and thoughts of the day and I guess, expectations for what we're going to write. Like I got to write something like this, or it's got to be this cool or whatever, all that shit, like the hamster wheel of our brain when we're sleep deprived or high or whatever, it just like shuts up. And that part of our brain that actually creates is free to, I guess, move forward. I also think that what you just said about the waterfall is one of the best reasons to not wait for inspiration because there's a moment before that hits or many moments before that hits where you're not feeling inspired right so like if you were to just not try you wouldn't get to that waterfall moment or if you did get to that waterfall moment it could be randomly like someday someday two months later you're like whoa i have a great idea that's sick as opposed to if you had just tried and pushed through you would have gotten to it much sooner and gotten way more ideas. And I think that's the difference between pro and non-pro songwriters, basically. No, you're absolutely right. And there's also a component of that where it feeds off of itself, you know, once it starts. And you could kickstart that. I've experienced this all the time, actually. Let's just say you're talking about being a guitar player and like wanting to come up with riffs or licks or ideas or whatever. You know, if you just pick up your guitar, you're like, what can I write right now? Like, you're going to psych yourself out a lot of times. But if you just play the guitar, that always happens to everybody. But if I just play the guitar, whatever, I'm in, I'm practicing, I'm in practice mode. I usually turn down the lights or have some cool, like, hue light, mood lighting, whatever. Yeah. And yeah, 
there you go. I'm usually in that that zone. Perfect, guys. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not normally in the mountains. <laughs> you know, and I just play and I practice and I could be just doing technical stuff or whatever. But the longer I sit there, things start to come out. And you, you just, you know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. It just involuntarily starts to come out. Like, oh, that's a cool thing that, you know, that probably wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have stumbled upon that if you just sat down about and were like, hmm, what could I do right now? What What's going to be the next greatest riff? There's this really amazing book uh, I read last year. I don't find books very often that I will, first of all, finish. Second of all, actually recommend to people. But when I read this, I was like, wow, this is amazing and brilliant. It's called Where Good Ideas Come From by Stephen Johnson. It examines the history of good ideas. And it basically makes an argument that uh, good ideas and how they're developed is in nature. And there's a way that it happens all around us and that we're a part of it too. And that generally, and this I'm bringing this up, based on what you just said about ideas feeding each other, he makes an argument for all progress and all great ideas being one thing plus another equals something brand new. That's awesome. But if you didn't have those two things before, it wouldn't lead to this new situation. But he goes and he brings up examples of like in evolution, technology, in historical revolutions or uh, sociology, all the way to creativity with art. And music, you start to think about, well, what are new genres? Well, new genres are typically somebody added some new element to something that already existed and you had a brand new sound. And it goes down to, you know, goes down to a micro level too. Like when new lyrics are coming about or new riffs are coming about, oftentimes it's that uh, you're taking something that you're good at doing. I've noticed at least I'll be playing something that is in my wheelhouse, but there's this brand new way of doing it. Oftentimes it's because I just learned something brand new a few days ago that's outside of my wheelhouse. And then suddenly it glued together in my head. And now that's what's coming out. That's so cool. It's a great book. I highly suggest it. That that sounds really interesting. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. So when you do get that moment, like the, okay, this is cool. When that happens, are you ever able to know like, where it came from like for like a here's a for instance here's what i mean like maybe sometime last week you decided to learn something completely different there's something brand new to you it might not have anything to do with what you're working on in general or just something totally left field and then dropped it and then now you're writing something and I get like little sprinkles of that are coming through. Are you able to recognize where those things are coming from? Or is it just, this is a new idea and it has nothing to do with that. Right. It's hard to say. I mean, sometimes yes. You know, if, if it's specifically that you're working on something you've never did before. And then out of that, something is born, you know, that, that definitely came specifically from you doing that thing that, that does happen. A lot like, well, uh, I'll try some different technique uh, or try to even learn something really specific that somebody else did. And then from that, I'm like, I might not even get to the point where I learned it all the way, but I discovered something. 
Like, yeah. oh, I never thought mm-hmm. of this this way. And then you forget about the thing you were trying to learn and you go off on this tangent. So yeah, that does happen. Other times it's probably more, it's hard to really identify where it came from. You know, um, also that type of stuff, you you could you could push that stuff through and muscle, muscle that stuff through if you put in the work too. I've learned that as well. Because some people have this thing where it's like, oh, it's just not happening for me today. And it's like, I like to push through those moments. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's it, where if you're doing something like uh, either mechanical, like you're trying to put something together and you have all these instructions in front of you and like you have no idea how to do it. And you have all these pieces or parts or there's some weird thing that your computer is doing, your email, and you can't figure it out. And you're like going online and it's like you can get frustrated. But then like it's like the more you work it out and work on it, it starts to come into it, you know, it starts to get less blurry and come into view and you're like, oh, oh, that's how that, mm-hmm. oh, wait. And then you're like, have this, oh, I know how to do it. I know exactly what it is. It's the same thing with creativity. I find, you know, if you push through those frustrating moments, um, you, you could come out the other side with some really cool ideas. And in a lot of ways, they'll feel better because it'll, they'll feel more worth it that you made that effort. So that's definitely a part of it. That reminds me of this standing desk I built uh, that arrived. I hate building things, but <laughs> and it arrived in like 19 boxes. Oh my and god! I so didn't want to do it, but you know, just started on step one. Yeah. And within a day or two, suddenly there's this machine that I can raise and lower that I can work at, and it's beautiful. That reminds me of what uh what George Harrison said about his writing sessions. He wrote a lot of them in the studio, constructed a lot of his songs in the studio. And he said that people ask him all the time about inspiration or think that like when they were in the studio that it's like some, I don't know, like there's like some spiritual shit going on. But he said that they get there in the morning and just go to work and he's just like adding bricks and doing work and little pieces and putting his stuff together piece by piece by piece. And he never felt like it was this, uh, this, I guess, magical thing that everyone was talking about. He just felt like he's going to work and he's making this song and there's a lot involved with it and that's it. Yeah, I, I so relate to that, you know, because like I, I think about my solo album that I, I did last year. Dream Theater was on tour. We we played uh, in the UK, actually we played in London and our last show was in, in uh, Glasgow. And then we went home, it's end of February. We were supposed to come back in, in April of 2020 and do Asia and then and the whole world shut down. There was no touring, obviously. It had been 15 years since I did a solo album and I planned on starting one last year anyway, but all of a sudden I found myself with all this time and Dream Theater had recently put together our own space, our own studio, our own headquarters over the last few years. That's really not too far from my house. So I had an office to go to during this time. I started out with these little seeds that did come from the things that we're talking about, those moments of inspiration or those moments of just playing and you're in a tantric state and a riff pops out and you record it right away or you're, you're about to fall asleep and you hear something and you record it. So, so I had those little nuggets, but literally it was the George Harrison thing. I'd go into work, into the studio, and I would sit there and I would start with one of those ideas. You know, my engineer would open up the session. Okay, let's get a tempo for this. And I'd play the riff or the motif or whatever it is. So let's lay down a drum groove and play bass. I didn't really know where the song was going. 
And then I would start to build it from there. It's like your standing desk, you know, piece by piece. You know, it's going to be a song eventually. You know, it's going to be a desk. At some point. At some point. And it, and it starts out really blurry. You know, it's like the, the little nugget is like opening the box. Okay. I have the pieces. And then you start to build it. Um, and little by little. And I did that for, you know, from March through May. Um, and there was something really gratifying and satisfying about that. And it was just myself. So there are no other band members to bounce ideas off or whatever just my own head like hmm i wonder where it should go next and you just try things and you build it it's pretty wild yeah you're right it doesn't have to be this huge spiritual you know enlightened moment there's there's a lot of work i've heard so many people say this about art you know there's a lot of work that goes into it that's the craft part absolutely so that's what i was saying earlier about the inspiration heard this before and i don't want to be cliche about it being overrated but i think what people mean is yeah those moments happen but yeah the 98 percent of the rest of the part is the work those moments happen and they do matter that's the thing yeah absolutely the reason i like to talk about it is because i don't want to put it in people's heads that those moments don't matter. They do matter. And you should capture whatever is happening when you get those moments because you can't predict them. And lots of the time, not always, but lots of the time, that's going to be the the essence of whatever it is that you build on in the craft part. Totally. When we were, when Dream Theater was doing the Astonishing record, which was very different for, uh, from anything that we've ever done before. In fact, it was kind of this passion project that I had in my head where I, I wanted to combine all the things that I love into one big creative thing. So it was songwriting, storytelling, lyric writing, you know, visual presentation, whatever. So I had this whole idea about something being uh, a story and a novel and a, you know, almost like Broadway-ish show and uh, a game and, <laughs> you know, this <laughs> visual experience. And it was just like this crazy, crazy idea that eventually I talked my band into doing somehow. But yeah, <laughs> so I wrote the story and then Jordan and I wrote the music based on the story, basically trying to like, we wrote it as a soundtrack to the story and each song had something to do with pushing the story line along. And through it ended up being like, I don't know, I forget how long that whole album is. I don't know if it's like two and a half hours or something. And we had David Campbell, you know, orchestrated. All, it's like the most overblown, overdone thing I could possibly do. And then it turned into a novel and this insane show. So at the end, I got there. But my point is, during that process, when the waterfall was going, those moments like just like hit me constantly. When I, when I was falling asleep, you know, it would be embarrassing, but if I shared with you guys <laughs> how many voice memos I have of me singing, like, oh my God, you know, here's another one, here's another one, here's another one. So you're right. Those moments are important. You got to capture them. And then from there, you have to do the work and actually develop, develop it into a song. One thing I am curious about, though, is with your voice memos, because I was thinking about voice memos the other day and thinking about how as a guitar player, it's a kind of a limited medium because you can't sing chords, can't sing a progression. You, you can you can do rhythm and I have a way of doing that, by the way. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Is like what is contained in these voice memos that that gives you enough information to be able to then go to sleep. You know, if it comes to you in a half awake, you're not going to remember probably the next day that it 
happened or you might, but it's unlikely just because of the way our brain works when we're in that state that you'll remember that much about it. So you have to be very uh, specific about what's in there. Right. How do you do it? In this case, we're talking about things where you don't have your guitar. If you have your guitar, you can just play it. So if it's just your voice, literally, I have to put in reference points. Like I'll sing the melody once and then I'll, in between the melody, I'll sing the chord, just the bass note of the chord mm-hmm. in between the melody. And then I might do a version where I'm, I'm actually, you know, tapping so that I know, you know, the rhythmic feel of what I was trying to do. So it might, it might happen in a, you know, the voice memo might contain not just a melody, but a melody with like alternating voice, voice notes with my voice and tapping. And like <laughs> I said, it's the most ridiculous sounding thing. And, you know, it, it definitely, I would be able to be blackmailed very easily if they ever got out. But to, to me, I do get, get it to a point where I understand what I meant. Well, that's what matters. Yeah, exactly. Now, if I was uh, more skilled, I guess, if I studied harder at Berkeley when I went, <laughs> then I would be able to just write it down. And of course, many musicians could do that. But for me, I can't do it quickly enough. Even if I always had some sort of uh, music notation software or paper, or whatever, to me, it's like I, I can't get it down quickly enough that way. That skill of mine just kind of faded through the years. So it's best for me to just sing it that way. But yeah, but if you know how to write music, literally, you can also just do that. It's gone for me, too. When I was doing it, when I was in it, going to Berkeley shortly thereafter, you know, I was transcribing the Dream Theater tab books and stuff. I was in it. But then after a while, like if you, it's a skill, if you don't, if you don't actively do that all the time, it goes away. I think for the first five, 10 years after Berkeley writing notation and all that, it was like the, on a gradual, slow (laughs) decline (laughs) to where it was no longer there. But also one thing I did notice, and I'm curious if uh, it's the same for you is over the years, you know, when you're 20, there's only so developed that your sensibilities and your tastes and your hearing are going to be, even if you're really good, there's a maturity and understanding that can only happen with experience and age. And what I wonder is if, even though the ability to write, like write notation declined and there's no longer viable way to quickly get your ideas down. Mm-hmm. If the sophistication of your understanding of how you work and um, of music creation in the real world kind of took over to where you found other ways that are even more effective, I guess. Yeah. You're developing those muscles if you use them more. And yeah, there was definitely more of an understanding and wisdom that, that came over the years. And this is an exact answer to what you're asking, but it kind of makes me think of something related. Just take in my band, for example, in Dream Theater, Jordan Brutus writes out and reads everything. And he, you know, that's just the way that he approaches music. And, you know, he has an idea, he writes it down and he reads it. And it's just like writing words down to him. It's not, you know what I mean? It's just the way he is. It's just like when you think about somebody who speaks another language, fluently they're not thinking about the grammar <laughs> rules they just, they just speak so so to him that's what he does for me throughout the years since that kind of trailed off for me i developed my memory instead so like we could be in a dream theater session and i could we could write a song 
the song could be 12 minutes, 14 minutes. I could play the entire thing. You know, like I'll be the reference guy that can play through the parts without any music or anything. Cause that part of my brain is so developed from just exercising that and, and relying on that. That actually does kind of answer my question. It's short term. You know what I mean? Like I could do that. And like, we'll we'll have this piece of music that we're, it's brand new to everybody. We'll have like charts on the wall and Jordan will have his paper. And it's just like, you know, it's like, guys, just I'll play through it. I'm literally the reference guy. Like I'll set the click, I'll play the part and everybody can take it from there as far as trying to remember what the part was, but then it disappears. Yeah. You know, you're right. Then the songs from 20 years ago, I can't remember, but it's like this really developed part of my brain, the short-term memory of musical memory of my brain. I have seen this before. So my dad has a photographic musical memory. And so when he conducts a symphony, he does it always by heart, always. And I mean, it could be the Rite of Spring or a Mahler piece or Shostakovich, some crazy shit. And he does it always by heart. But no matter what he's doing, he has to relearn it. Even if, you know, even if it's Beethoven's ninth and he's done it a million times in his career, he's not going to get up there and not, not done the prep work. It does go away, but that short-term memory skill, musical memory, I think is a very real thing because I've seen it at a crazy level. That's amazing. That's, that's incredible to know about your dad. You know, I, I wonder, and I wonder if he would know this either because um, I've thought this to myself, is that something that was developed because he relied on that and like exercised that part of his brain? Was that something in his brain that was always there that he was able to use? Like I it was there. It, he's got perfect pitch and uh, he majored in violin and orchestral percussion before going to conducting and he can read like a motherfucker. He's like, but the thing is, and I was thinking about this when you were talking about Jordan, I was wondering, does he, is he a classical person? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, to them, not reading is not an option. That's just how they are. Yeah. He went to Juilliard when he was nine. And that answers that. Like most guitar players don't learn the guitar that way. Like, no. you know, piano and band instruments, I guess most people don't just pick up a flute and start to play playing well in the flute like you learn like taking lessons you know but guitar is different in that way guitar is the kind of instrument you just pick up most people just started playing you know they just picked it up like yeah there's some kids that start with lessons you know but most people just pick up the guitar and start playing so there's a lot of like parts that are missing as far as formal training and reading music and all that stuff especially uh you know, maybe not classical guitar, but especially just rock guitar. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Pop, whatever. It's just like you pick up the instrument and you can start fiddling around with it and figuring it out. And eventually, you know, you put the time in and you got it. But it's not like you're a kid. You want to play saxophone in the band and you start taking like lessons. <laughs> you know, you got to read. It's not that type of instrument. Yeah, you have to read. Exactly. That makes me wonder uh, because, you know, you're known as a very educated guitar player much more than a lot of other guitar players because people know about you having gone to Berkeley, you know, the genre that you're known for. These are, you know, it's a genre where players know their shit. And so, you know, I've known about your Berkeley days forever now. So it's interesting to hear you talk about reading like this, which to me is a very real and realistic approach to 
reading as a guitar player in heavy music genres. Like it's interesting to me that even with the formal education and all that work, all the technical work, all the theoretical work, all that stuff doesn't seem like you've over-focused on things that didn't help get you closer to that goal line or things that it's like you didn't worry about things that don't move the needle for you. Right. Exactly. I did. I, the things that were important to me are the things that I sort of latched onto and connected with. And you're right. You kind of like weed out the other things. And, you know, it depends on what you're doing in your musical career and reading in many circumstances is crucial and essential. You can't be in certain situations if you don't know how to read music, you know, but it's like learning a language. I mean, yeah, I learned like Spanish when I was in high school, but, and I know a few words, but I can't have a conversation with somebody in Spanish if I was in Spain. It's a skill you have to always be doing constantly and use, you know, if you don't use it, it sort of goes away. But, you know, to me, yeah, my career didn't require that that was something that I had to always keep, you know, at at a high level. At Berkeley, they make you think that it's going to matter no matter who you are. So you obviously had to think for yourself and I guess not let yourself get indoctrinated. I've got nothing against Berkeley, but like, yeah, I did notice. And I'm bringing this up because I have noticed this too in the years since. And, you know, I've seen this in the riff hard community and I've seen this in a lot of guitar students that a lot of people will worry about things that uh, it's not that they're unimportant. I'm glad I learned how to read at one point in time. I'm sure you are too. Um, It all helps you become the musician that you are. But I have noticed that a lot of musicians who are trying to get better and who have certain goals worry themselves with too many things that may or may not matter instead of focusing, like focusing really, really hard on things that will matter. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a few different things here. First of all, when you're a student in a music college, you need to learn how to do that stuff. And that's how you're going to get through the courses and, and everything like that. And and if your career path is one where you want to be involved musically in things that require that, you know, if you want to play in the Boston Pops and do that, yeah, you have to do that. You know, for me, it was kind of a combination where I was intrigued by music theory and wanting to learn as much as I could about music and how it applied to to the guitar and chord construction and scales and all that cool music theory stuff. But, you know, I wanted to be like the next Iron Maiden, you know, like that was my, my career path headspace. As much as I loved all that stuff, I wanted to form a band and, you know, be able to like have a global impact like a maiden or metallica or whatever or rush you know what i mean that was like my goal so i did the things that were important to achieving that goal and you know some of the the things we're talking about in in those circumstances don't really apply so it depends on what you're going to do with your musical career you said that you don't always do the six hours now but you're still actively practicing how do you fit that in i mean you have so many projects going on at the same time liquid tension New Dream Theater, solo stuff, family, whiskey. You've got a lot going on. Uh, and we all know, like we, I mean, we said it earlier that when you're young, you have all the time in the world. Once you're in real life, uh, you have to be very, um, you have to be very intentional with how you spend your time. So now when you are practicing, not writing, but like straight up instrument practice, how do you focus it now? And, do you break it up into like 
30 minutes this, 30 minutes that, or like, what are, where's your headspace at now? And what types of things do you work on? Right. Well, I, I think the the difference is, you know, if, if I'm not, like you said, if I'm not in the studio actively working on an album where you, you know, you're putting in more than six hours and you're, those are 10, 11 hour days. Sometimes that's the way I like to work just sort of really intensely. But if you're not doing that and you're just literally at home practicing, it is different in a way where you, you don't have these gigantic chunks of time. So what I've learned to do is not to make excuses and not to say, Oh, I don't have three hours to practice right now. So I'm not going to practice at all. <laughs> You know, when I do, then I'll put that time in all in a row, but it doesn't have to be all in a row. You know, it could be an hour in the morning and then you have stuff to do and then you come back and it could be a half hour here. And then the day is winding down. It's after dinner and you can go into your studio and practice for another hour and a half. And that type of uh, sort of organizing your time takes just as much sort of thought and discipline as it does to sit there for three hours straight. And even back in the day, you know, I would break that into chunks as well, because it's, it's hard to do anything for that long. So doing something for an hour and a half, then taking a break and then coming back and doing another hour and a half. That's a good way of, of doing it, breaking it up that way. And what do I practice? I mean, it's kind of still the same stuff that I've always practiced, you know, just trying to be technically able to, to do the things that I'm thinking of in my head and try not to have like physical limitations when doing that. And every once in a while, you know, I do these these awesome guitar camps, the guitar jump Trucci guitar universe. And I have opportunities to have like amazing guitar players come as guest instructors just from watching them or picking somebody's brain or seeing how somebody does something that I've never done before. And then I sit down at the guitar or I have friends, you know, online or whatever, and they'll send me stuff. And I'm like, how you, you know, I I can't wrap my head or like, how are you doing that? That's it's so weird to me. So I'll practice those things that other people can do really well that seem weird for me. And I'm like, I should be, I need to be able to do this. Like, why is it natural for them and weird for me? And that, that whole sort of obsessive competitive thing like kicks in. I'm like, I need, if this guy could do this, I need to be able to do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And, I, and I, that's what I do. I do practice the same, you know, it's that same mentality I had when I was 12, 13, 14. It's a drive to develop the craft. I saw something Tosin posted just like a week or two ago that was just like, what is this? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. And and I get mad and I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm like, Tosin, what are you doing? Because <laughs> you're watching him do it. it it's funny because he, he was a, a guest instructor. He's been for the last three years with me and like, we'll do these jams. And I'm like, can you do one of those cool things that you do in the jam? <laughs> you know, set up this section and I'm watching him do it in front of me. And I'm like, how is what you're doing, making this, all these sounds come out. Cause it doesn't physically like match up. <laughs> so bizarre things like that. You know, you, you want to try it. And now some guys just have like this ability. That's just insanely unique to them. Try as you may, you may, not, you might not ever be able to do that. This one makes a guitar so cool and unique to every player, but it's, it's great, you know, having a go at it and, and trying it and it could open, you know, we talked, what we talked about earlier, you could start to try to learn something and then all of a sudden be like, Oh wait, this is cool. And then you stumble upon something else and come up with your own version. You forget about that other thing you were trying to do. You got what you needed out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but with Tosin's doing it. I, I know what video you're talking about. I'm like, I don't understand. Yeah, because it's freakish. <laughs> like, the music that's be, that's coming out of the guitar doesn't look like what's happening physically. And uh, that's awesome. It's just so cool. By the way, really cool hearing Andy Sneap 
do something with you guys. Yeah. I love Andy. He's, he's so talented. And, uh, I, I first worked with him on my solo album. He mixed terminal velocity for me. We had such a great time. Guitar sound amazing on it. the whole album, the whole band. But when dream theater went into the studio and I, we started to make the kind of record that we were making, which was heavy and, you know, really energetic and, progressive and everything else like i knew after having working with dan having worked with andy and my solo thing that he would be great for dream theater and he absolutely just nailed it you know he he really did he's so great he's phenomenal and a super great guy you know is so generous with his time like he's constantly like trying to make it better i've never worked with somebody that's like just asks so many questions of himself just even when you think you have it hey do you think the kick has enough you know whatever like just these things and just constantly trying to make it better until he gets it to a point where it's like yeah i wouldn't change anything here and and he does that you know because he he loves doing what he does and uh, yeah, just a just a thrill and pleasure to work with with Andy on this album. Well, the thing I love about him, oh, I've always loved his work. But the thing I love, especially now, is uh, that he now will only work with bands that he wants to work with. I mean, he always kind of was like that, but there was a time period, you know, the early 2000s where he was getting all of the work in metal pretty much. Gotcha. He worked on some bands that weren't exactly his thing, but then he made a decision to only work on bands that are his thing. And I feel like his mixes have just taken his new quality to them. They have. They were already great, but they're even greater now. Yeah. All right, this is a good place to end the episode. John Petrucci, I want to thank you very, very much for taking the time to hang out with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was a great conversation. It woke up my uh, intellectual side (laughs) fairly early in the morning for musicians. So thank you for starting my day this (laughs) week.